Mashallah. Uh, it's nice to meet a lot of new people. Uh, alhamdulillah, I don't bite, inshallah, uh, as far as I know. And, uh, you know, we, we, under the leadership of Imam Khalid and Sheikh Fayaz and others, you know, we really envision uh, the IC as like a community, a place where you can come to Islam as you are. And Islam as it is, as Imam Zaid uh, said before. Uh, but also, like, find a sense of value and friendship uh, and camaraderie. Camaraderie is missing a lot of times in our communities. So it's, it's really a, a blessing and uh, wonderful to meet uh, new people, as well as some people, of course, we've had relationships for, for now almost a year and a half. SubhanAllah. Uh, no, no, it's not too long, inshallah. Uh, that's your opinion. So... <laughs> So now we'll, we'll continue, and, and, and where the Sheikh stops is like making these demands of fulfilling the claim to want to be nearer to God. Um, and each, each principle that I'm reading, if you kind of look at it, if you read it in Arabic, you'll see there's actually like a principle inside the statement. And that principle is kind of like what's taking its root from the sacred texts, uh, as well as the general philosophy of Islam. The qawaid and the ta'seer, uh, the bina and the ta'seer. And last time we, we stopped, we talked about how do we frame our understanding of worship. So he's going to build on that. And he's going to talk about worship, and then he's going to talk about the dangers of being lax, and also the dangers of being too harsh in our attitude towards worship. And then we'll, we'll slide into the intentions uh, and then we'll stop uh, there, inshallah. So he says uh, uh, very beautifully, um, he says, Al-ibadatu iqamatu ma tuliba shara'an min al-a'mal al-kharija an al-adati wa dakhilati fiha. He said that true worship or complete worship um, is carrying out actions ordered by sharia within the realm of religious acts of devotion. So whatever the Sharia has ordered me to do, like salah, like fasting, um, being good to others, right? All that is ad-dakhila. All that falls under the purview of, of what are known as religious acts. So he says, مَا شَرْعًا مِنَ الْأَعْمَالِ خَارِجَ عَنِ الْعَادَاتِ فِيهَا So those actions which are part of like our daily life. They're not specific acts of worship. So for example, like, you know, uh, going to work or you know, playing sports or making a makeup tutorial or whatever, like, I don't know. I got kids, so mine are limited, right? Things that we do, hobbies, art. Those are things that are not considered pure acts of worship in the sense of like salah. So he's saying something very powerful. He's saying, create a relationship between worship and your life. And he's saying it like really subtly. And he's saying the ability to do that is to perform complete worship. So if you think about it, he's kind of opposing the idea of secularism or spiritual psychosis. 
right? I'm, I'm good here, I'm not good here. We've seen people who may be religiously really, really adherent and nice, but in business they're like horrible. And it may see people who like in the mosque, they're like, mashallah, you know, in religious settings like melas and dawats and stuff, they're like super, super friendly, super nice. But in other settings, they're not. So the idea of wellness is central to completeness, to being whole. And he roots wellness in a relationship with God. So he's saying the ability to be whole and well is to make everything for God. And if it's for God, then it won't, it won't harm. It won't be evil. So he's saying, Al-ibadah al-kamila is what's understood from the statement of the shaykh. That complete worship is iqama, is establishing what has been commanded from the Sharia, which means acts of worship, and daily life issues. So how I act as a person. Has anyone ever read the remarkable prophetic tradition of the Prophet ﷺ after his death? And a, a group of his companions encounter his wife, Sayyidah Aisha. And they ask her what? Mark Manley, Imam Mark Manley has a beautiful, on his podcast, Middle Ground Podcast, has a really beautiful um, explanation of this narration. What do they ask her about the Prophet? Like, if, if we could ask Fatima السلام, or Sayyidah Aisha or any of those like luminaries a question about the Prophet, what do you think we'd ask? What do we ask if music is halal? What do you ask like mundane questions? You know what they ask her? How did he treat you? Like, why would they ask that question, man? That's crazy. Like, how did he act in the house? Because that is the tale of who a person is. So what the sheikh is saying is, limit your contradictions. Like, if you're like, it's easy to be a saint in the mosque, man. But, and that's why Hajj is dope. And Umrah is dope, although I won't go now until Yemen stops. But, you know, uh, you get people like, when I used to take people to Hajj, they were like, this could be so amazing. Like, I saw Malcolm X, the movie. It was like, I want to be like Denzel. Like, you know, first of all, you're going to look like Denzel. Okay. I want to be like Denzel, you know, running across the desert sands and experiencing like spiritual bliss. I was like, <laughs> nah, this is like a tough mutter, bro. Like, what's awaiting you is not spiritual bliss. That's why Hajj is such an important act of worship, because it builds our capacity to deal with madness. Like, you're not allowed Most of Hajj, if you think about it, except for Ihram, is Adat. Most of the acts when you're in a state of Ihram are related to how you are as a person. The acts of worship aren't that many and they're not that long. In fact, we rush to finish them. 
So oftentimes people get it twisted. They focus on the esoteric meaning of the axe, throwing stones and this and that. That's dope. But the majority of the time in Hajj, you just you. As if to say, in front, in front of all this drama and all these people and all this madness, and all this chaos, can you limit your contradictions? That's why Hajj is so important. And the same with fasting. I'm fasting, but I'm still observing fast while I'm doing my daily rituals that are not pure acts of worship like fasting and zakat and hajj. So the shaykh is saying, Worship is establishing what the sharia has commanded. Related to acts of worship and issues that touch your daily life. As if to say also, your religion is comprehensive. It's not just for the mosque. And in order to, to be whole, we have to limit those contradictions. And then he talks about what is worship? Like if I'm going to begin to scaffold my relationship with worship and if I'm going to limit those contradictions, then I need to be able, and it's very important to appreciate how early scholars, because in our tradition, the use of the intellect is the first obligation. That is the first obligation, even before faith. Like salah, you know? Many scholars said the first obligation of salah is to think, because I have to think about what time it is. I have to think about the direction of prayer. So, I'm now using the intellect. It's like a constant. So early Muslim scholars were fascinated by the idea of cognition. Niya, intention, irada, will, tafahum, understanding, tahleel, deconstructing. These are all kind of terms, of course, a different meaning than now, that they were fascinated by. Like, how do people think? So Imam Ghazali, he writes an entire book on like, how much do you have to think before you're responsible to God? He writes a whole book about this. And then what is the idea of immersion that would cause someone to be blameworthy for not having a relationship with God? They were fascinated by this stuff. Imam Ibn Qayyim in particular, like, he was really incredible on this. For that reason, the Shaykh, he spends a lot of time in the opening, and I, I extracted it in this way, formatting how we see things to create the proper approach. So he says, Kamalul ibadati bihifthiha wal muhafadati alayha. He said, Complete worship implies two things that I guard the actual act of worship, but then also I guard and observe the things that will lead to the act of worship. And, and that touches on an important principle in Sharia. It's called Muqaddimatul Ibadah, the hors d'oeuvres of worship. That's how I would describe it. The appetizers of Ibadah. What great scholar Imam al-Haramain called Muqaddimatul Wajib, not Wajib, the Muslim. 
What is the, the introduction, the things that lead to the performance of an obligation? We have a very profound axiom, which he's alluding to here, but he's not saying it, that says, whatever helps complete an obligation becomes an obligation, triggers. Whatever causes me to fall in haram, even if it's permissible, becomes what? Haram. This axiom is one of the foundational axioms of Sharia. So one is about like causing me to do good. So surrounding myself with a situation which is going to harvest my faith. Then staying away from things that may harm me. In Arabic it says, مَا الْوَاجِبُ إِلَى Like whatever helps me to complete an obligation, a fard, right, became fard. And what causes, triggers me to fall into evil became forbidden. This is in your personal purview. You're like, you have to call people and ask them questions. I know what triggers me. I know what may cause me to, to lapse. I also know what may inspire me. So those things now are my responsibility. So the Shaykh, he says, Kamalul ibadah, completing ibadah, right, is about not only looking after the act itself, like salah, but looking after what will help you observe the act. I think I gave an example, was it here or somewhere, where this brother, he told me like, yeah, it was today in Tandon. This brother told me he hasn't prayed Fajr in six months, like on time. I was like, oh man, are you okay? He's like, well, have you heard of Fortnite? I was like, no, no, I've never heard of Fortnite, man. He said, yeah, like, I, I stepped like 3.30, man. I was like, well, then, like, you know the answer. Like, I can't help it if you want to shoot pink bunnies and build a cabin. Like, that's between you and God, but you can stop at, like, 11. He's like, man, I can't stop. Right? So this is what the sheikh is saying. Be disciplined in ibadah. So like, think strategically. What are things that trigger good? What are things that trigger bad? And then adjust those accordingly so you've completed the idea of worship. And then he touches on something that's also very important. It's important to think about ibadah as a binary. Hate to use that word, but I had to. And that is that ibadah actually has, well, it's three parts to it. Three components. Number one is the cognitive component. What do I understand of the act of worship? And that's how I avoid ritual. Like I learn some of the more beautiful aspects of worship. I read hadith that talk about, you know, the secrets of salah the beauty of prayer. Those are ways to keep my intellect like fresh. The second is the inner. That's what he says. Al-Batin. What is my inner state? Where am I at internally in this act of worship? So he's observing that. He mentions two. He mentions this binary of the internal and the external. Traditionally, the external is the job of fiqh. So where you place your hands, which direction do you face, what would break salah, 
etc., etc. That's fiqh. But tabatin is tasawwuf. That's why we say tasawwuf is the fiqh of the heart. So it tells me where my soul should be. How do I strengthen that? How do I increase that capacity? And the relationship between the two is interesting. Because if they're divorced from one another, you have a harsh personality. On the other side, you have someone who may like even leave Islam. Like you have some people up north in New York, New York State. They're not Muslims, but they say they're Sufis. It's like really weird. Like so like, and they go like, La ilaha illallah. And they like play guitars and stuff. And you're like, yo, it's so cool. Assalamu alaikum. I'm like, oh no, no. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Jewish person from Crown Heights. Like, dude, you're like rapping off like the law. I mean, like, oh, I just want to get closer to Allah. Like, what? Right? Sheikh is saying, without fiqh and theology, we could fall into heterodoxy. So that's why he ties it together again. So he says that complete worship is looking after what leads to worship, the causes of worship, or the causes of not worshiping, and disciplining them. And then establishing the internal and external limits, hudud, meaning the guidelines or what Islam has asked of us. And then he says something which is very important. Min Without going extreme. Without being extreme. And the next few things that we'll talk about, inshallah, as we try to finish quickly, is the danger of going too hard, man. I don't know if anyone follows me on Instagram, you can now, plug, shameless plug. But um, there's this guy, texted me a few nights ago on Instagram. He's like, hey man, my name is something, and I'm from somewhere. He's like a really, really white guy. Like, let's put it that way. This dude is mad white. And uh, I was like, hey, cool, what's up, man? How you doing? And he was like, you know, I started to read the Qur'an because I wanted to show that innately this religion is horrible. I was like, eh, hey, the same old story. From Omar till now, man, it always happens. And he said to me, but like, something weird happened. I was like, what? He's like, I started crying when I read the Qur'an. I was like, in English? He's like, yeah. I was like, wow, why? He's like, no, not because I'm sad, because my heart was moved. But then, like, my man has been texting me like crazy. Because that's that convert thing. Like, I gotta do this. You know, get like really, really compulsive. So I said to him, he says, Is there anything you want to tell me now? I was like, slow down. Pace yourself. Take it easy. The Shaykh is saying, Yeah, you want to have complete ibadah. You want to think about, you know, establishing the inner and the outer. But don't fall into extremism. And Islam, extremism is defined in two ways. Number one is being too harsh. Going beyond what Islam has asked. And that implies two things. Number one, trying to do more than what Islam asks us to do. So for example, in the Maliki Madhab, ziyadatul wajib makruh. Like to go beyond what's the obligation or the sunnah is disliked. So like washing your face ten times in wudu. Like why would you do that? There's only three. So going beyond the sunnah. And many scholars said this is the worst type of innovation. 
worse than someone who innovates in sin. Someone who innovates in sin, like I've never seen a legion of liberal loony Muslims going around and killing people. They just do their dirt, man. But it's usually been who that in the name of self-righteousness and in the name of being like on the truth has wrecked havoc on communities is the ultra-conservatives. What he means by conservatism here is going beyond the sunnah. Being beyond that. That's the first meaning. The second is to eschew the interpretive mechanism of mainstream scholarship through history. So, I remember once there was a man, I saw this debate on Twitter. I'm not really on Twitter. It's very interesting. There was a man saying, down with the scholars. We don't need the scholars. I want to smoke weed. Forget the scholars. I don't even know what tell me to smoke weed. I can smoke weed on my own. And this is someone who claims to be like a liberal pundit, you know, in the, in the Muslim community. And Mark Manley wrote back and said, that's what ISIS says. And ISIS said the same thing. Down with the scholars. We don't need scholars. Who needs the scholars? Let me kill you. Okay. Who needs scholars? Destroy graves. By the way, the mosque of the writer of this book was destroyed by ISIS in Libya, along with his library. In the name of what? We don't need the scholars. So both lead to a problem. That doesn't also mean scholars can't be questioned and engaged. Of course, that's another extreme. But to reject a thousand years, right, in the name of removing the yoke of scholars from our necks, is perhaps the greatest principle of a Eurocentric white neoliberal outlook ever. That's why it always fascinated me. So in the name of being liberal or rejecting liberalism, I'm going to be hyper-liberal or hyper-conservative. We'll talk about that tomorrow in the text, actually. How do I find that balance? Because also we've seen examples of scholarly abuse, mistakes, evil, people hurt. But he's saying here, be balanced. So as I find that burst of wanting to become religious, I see this all the time. I had a person in the Bay Area, a very, very successful person, mashallah, who was funding some of the work we were doing back in SuhaibWeb.com, back in the Dizzies. And he came to me after Fajr one day and said, man, I'm going to quit my job as a senior vice president of my blah, blah, blah. I was like, what? He's like, yeah, I want to move like, in the desert and memorize Quran. I said, man, what were you watching last night on TV? This dude has six kids. So I said, okay, why do you want to do that? He said, because I want to worship Allah. I said, do you think sending your six kids to really good schools is worshiping Allah? He said, yeah. I said, well, who's going to pay for their school if you move to the desert in Memorial's Quran? He's like, yeah, you know what? I think I'm not moving to that. <laughs> right? That, that initial boost of like irrational religiosity. The Sheikh is saying, take it easy. The word ghulu means to burn. So don't burn yourself out. So he's saying, worship, complete worship is to look after what causes worship, the act itself, to observe the inner 
to observe the outer. So when I pray, my focus is on God. My heart is not working on my 401k or my hedge fund, which I don't have. And then the outer is like, you know, I'm, I'm making sujood and ruku slowly, not rushing. Bila hulu wala tafrit. But I'm not like praying every second of the day. I pray when I can. Yes, ma'am. We'll talk about a little bit of that tomorrow, uh, because towards the end he begins to talk about consistency. One of the things he says is very powerful. This kind of it's kind of dope. He's like, "Don't worship Allah for a feeling, but feel that you worship Allah." So maybe you and I don't find any like real feeling from the moment, right? That's hard sometimes. I get it, but he's saying the fact that God brought you into that state to serve Him should get you high. Like, that's what he meant. Like, find pleasure in that. We'll talk about it tomorrow. There's things that can be done, though. Like, changing up the routine. Don't do deadlifts every day, man. <laughs> Change it up. Don't eat kale. Every, it sounds like my life right now. Don't eat. 46 is tough, man. You know what I'm saying? But you got to be happy. Um, <laughs> try to give me some pizza. I was like, nah, man. My wife is, my wife is watching on Facebook Live. <laughs> I got that kale smoothie waiting for me at home. The protein powder. Pizza flavored. Um, so like, but you gotta, he talks about switching it up. Not just doing the same thing all the time. But we'll get to that inshallah. Um, I'm glad how you noted how it's all, you see that symmetry, that's pretty cool. Then he says something important. One of the foundational principles of Islam is moderation. Allah says in the Quran, وَكَذَلِكَ جَعَلْنَاكُمْ أُمَّةً وَسَطًا We made you a moderate community. Moderation, I know, it needs to be defined. In general, it's defined by the Sunnah. Prophet is a moderate example. So that's why bid'ah, innovation, is to either go beyond what the Prophet commanded or to ignore what the Prophet commanded. The Prophet is that, that, that centerpiece that helps moderate us. So for example, when Sayyidah Aisha talked to those three men about the Prophet's worship, and they said, like, I'm never going to sleep again, I'm never going to eat again, I'm never going to get married. And then she told the Prophet, I'm like, these three guys just said this. And he's like, where are they? And he ran after them. And he said, Usali wa anam, like, I pray and I sleep. I fast, sometimes I don't fast. And I'm married. So whoever refuses to follow that path of balance is not from me. The second is in issues where the sunnah is silent or the Quran is silent. Where, where do I go to? Who do I look to? He talks about it tomorrow if we have time, but mainstream scholarship. Right? Doesn't mean I have to agree with everything. Of course, that's not, that's not a bad thing. People don't agree. Well, why is it like this? Why is it like that? I think that doesn't make sense to me. That's good. That's a healthy thing. That's, that's part of the process. Like any imam who thinks you can go into a community and everybody's going to accept what you say, that would be a really boring job. 
But you should appreciate engagement. Teachers, appreciate engagement. So, but as a reference point, I try to stick as much as I can. We all have our moments, right? To what like there's this mainstream kind of vibe. And if there's massive differences, then I follow a difference within that larger mainstream. We'll, we'll map that out for you tomorrow, inshallah. But the Prophet was concerned about that when someone went beyond what he does. Like, I'm never going to sleep. I'm never going to get married. I'm never going to, you know, uh, eat again. He runs after them. And he says, listen, chill. Also the other side, ghafla. The, the, the other would be to completely ignore and be negligent of what the Prophet commanded. That's also a problem. And that, that relationship of either going beyond or negligence in our theology is called tashdeed. Shid, to be harsh. But here means two things. So the Sheikh, he says, as you can see up here, balance and objectivity. You know, Dr. Sherman Jackson says something really beautiful about religiosity. He says for, religi for religiosity to function, it needs two things. Or religion. It needs to be meaningful. It needs to be impactful. If it's boring, I'm not going to listen. If it's not contextually appropriate to me, I'm not going to find it inspiring. So meaning means inspiration. But the second is what we often don't talk about. It has to be sustainable. So I, I like to challenge sometimes my students when they're young. They're really, really excited. You know, they're going hard. I say to them, when you're married and have kids, do you think you'll be able to practice Islam like this? Oh, no, man. Then don't practice it now. When you're old, do you think you'll be able to practice Islam like this? No. Don't practice it now like that then. And that's why Amr ibn As, his son, when he came to the Prophet, and he said, I want to fast every single day. And the Prophet told him, don't do it, man. You can't do it. The Prophet knows as you get older, right? Kids, bills, problems. You won't be able to adhere to these things. And I know if you started doing it while I'm alive, you're going to want to do it. And if you do it, in your old age, it's going to be what? It's going to be hard on you. And that's why he said, I wish I listened to what he told me. Because it's hard on me. So sustainability means I, I think about how I practice my religion as a convert. Like, is this going to work with my family? Doesn't mean I leave things, of course. Those areas that I have to, you know, worship, I do it. Like the guy that wanted to go to the middle of the desert. Is that sustainable? Like, are you going to be able to maintain your kids and your family, or is it going to lead to chaos? It's going to lead to chaos. That's why you can appreciate now, if you read hadith, when people come to the Prophet and ask him, what's the best thing to do? And he always has a different answer. Because he knows who he's talking to. He knows how to keep them balanced. That's why Sayyidah Aisha said, the Prophet can ya'murna bima nutiq. He used to order us to do things. We could do it easily. And we got angry. If you read the translation, you think it means like, we got angry because, you know, we told the Prophet we got angry and then the Prophet got angry at us. You think the translation means the Prophet got angry at them because they just did normal stuff. That's not what it means in Arabic. It means we wanted to do more and he got angry and said, chill. 
Don't, and that's why he said, What destroyed those people that came before you is trying to go too hard or too soft. So the Sheikh, he lays out now our relationship with moderation. And he says, He said, That type of harshness, going beyond what Islamists asks, ask, is prohibited. Just like ignoring what Islam has asked is prohibited. Oftentimes communities under pressure, they tend to focus only on the laxed articulations of Islam in their community and not pay attention to the irresponsible conservatism in their community. And then there's imbalance. I remember I, I went to a mosque once in America. They, they brought me in to do some consulting. And they had a picture on the front of the mosque of a woman without hijab, and a woman with hijab, and they had an X for the woman without hijab. So, of course, when I sat in the board meeting, the first question was, no women come here. It was like the fifth question. I was like, yeah, I wonder why. Like, well, we don't know, brother, but subhanAllah, you know, we, we've tried to, like, we put some new lights in the sister's facility, and we've got some Febreze over there. Febreze is an endoforin disruptor, by the way. So I was like, have you thought about that sign on the front? Like, they were like, well, brother, you know, subhanAllah, it's an obligation. I said, okay, I agree with you, but people struggle with obligations. Then, it, then they said, well, what do you want us to do? I said, well, can you put a sign for men with a big X? Like, how men should dress? And then they understood. And they took it down. Right? Going hard on issues without having understanding, man, pushes people away. As going soft on issues deceives people. But the Sheikh is saying, in your own life, as you start to emerge and you want to have this relationship with God, and you're starting, starting to cling to those things that will make that relationship real, don't be impulsive. Don't flip too hard to the right or to the left. He said, and balance is sometimes to take something that's a little hard on you, sometimes to take something that's a little easy on you. That's the sunnah. Like there's a place for that. Like if I'm not waking up for Fajr because I'm playing Fortnite, I need to be hard on myself. If I'm making Fajr and I'm like, oh my God, God doesn't love me, I probably need to chill. And that's one of the dangers of this age, cynicism. Having no belief in people. No more hope in good. Sheikh Al-Akbar ibn Arabi in Futuhat al-Makiyah. And I mention this story a lot because it's so important. He said, I was making tawaf in Mecca and I saw the most ignorant human being I've ever seen in my life. And this person had followers. And they said, who was that? He said, this person who said, there's no good left on earth. Cynicism, man. This is an age of hyper-cynicism. It's an age of outrage. Right? The Prophet said, La taghdab, don't be outraged. Right? Be angry, but be calm. Be complacent, be firm, be balanced. So Shaykh is saying, And the word wasatiya actually doesn't mean moderation. It means that now. But in ancient Arabic, Naqat al-Wusta was the camel that just needed enough to get you across the desert, man moderate. 
not opulent, not neglectful. So he says being balanced is commendable and taking sometimes the hard and the ease together, that usually brings people to al-wasati. Ibn Sina, of course, the great physician, he was asked, how is it that you always come up with these remarkable medical discoveries? He said, he is Persian, mashallah. He said, I, I look at an illness and I see the two extremes and I always arrive to a middle conclusion on how to treat the person. I never go to one extreme or the other. I always look for some kind of balance. And the Prophet ﷺ, he said, of course, the Shaykh, and he mentions uh, uh, this hadith of Sayyidina Nabi ﷺ, he said, uh, The best of affairs to be balanced. What do we mean by balance? Number one, it doesn't bring harm into your spiritual space. So like you'll find people, they worship like really, really hardcore for a while, and they're like, God didn't give me what, what I want. Who do you think you are? Like, you ain't that special. Or it harms their family, like the dude who wanted to move to the middle of the desert and quit his job. Or it harms the society. It creates darar. Those general darar, those general harms, we try to avoid. That's why the Prophet, alayhi salatu salam, when he comes back into Mecca, he can rebuild the Kaaba on the foundations of Ibrahim, but he refuses. He says, because these people just accepted Islam. This is an iconic monument. If I destroy it, they may rebel. Sallallahu Yes, sir. In his age, there was a problem of balance. Again, that's why he tries to root people back. Because he, he finds that people are so lost in the esoteric that they're like, I don't have to pray anymore. I can be bad, so what? I'm close to God. So in his age, it's a little different. I would, I would argue that what's happening now in America in particular, it's, it's in America, man, is close to what Ghazali dealt with. This just mass outrage about everything and then arguing identity politics out the wazoo. And that's why Ghazali does what? He says, I quit. And he just leaves. I'm not saying we, should, we can do that. And he goes and hides in a mosque for 11 years. He's like, are y'all done? I wrote the Ihya. Here you go. Stop fighting. And that's why the beginning of the Ihya talks about polemics, arguing, fighting, terms, words, because they're hyper-Aristotelian. We'll, we'll finish quickly, inshallah. Um, that's a good question, mashallah. The next, we'll just briefly touch it, because this is something that people assume as they become religious, and that's why sometimes they push people away from religion. I remember when I first converted, I was you know, about as friendly as the guy in the movie Saw. Um, and I remember my mother would say to me, like, what the hell kind of religion is this? I was like, what do you mean? Turn off that music. It's haram. She's like, she's like, but baby, I like the Beatles. I was like, the Beatles? I think Beatles, no, they're halal. But don't eat it. 
right? I came home and told her, like, take down all those pictures, this and that. And she's like, finally, she said, listen, I just need to remind you, like, I'm not Muslim. What the heck's wrong? I don't want to hear to what you adhere to, right? But that happens. We, we tend to think that going the hard way is right. So he mentions a very important axiom of practice that's found in our Sharia that says, Al-ajru ala qadr al-itba'ah. Which means that reward is based on how much of the instruction you observe in the act, not the physical hardship that surrounds it. Sometimes people try to put themselves in harm's way and they think, wow, Allah is going to reward me because this is so hard. Or yeah, you know, I'm going to make wudu outside and it's cold. Allah is going to give me more reward. People do this. I'm just going to go hard. The sheikh, he says, the reward is not based on going hard. The reward is based on adhering to the sunnah. That balance. The act. There's something subtle happening here because we have to kind of, again, reformat. And that's why if you've ever sit with people who may not be that religiously adherent and you ask them about religion, man, they think religion's crazy. And if you ask someone who's like, you know, somewhat immersed in religion, they'll be like, oh, no, that's cool. Don't worry about it. No, that's okay. Don't worry about it. No, that's you good. Because that not being around something causes me sometimes to construct the hardest outcome as being the best. Sheikh is saying, when you start, don't do this. Just follow your religion in a balanced way. The hardship that you incur, you self-impose, is not going to bring the reward. So making wudu in Washington Square Park, where it's 13 degrees, doesn't make anyone better than making wudu at Equinox with some, like, I don't know, some Alps taking water from the tops of the peaks of some mountain. <laughs> Same thing. As we finish, because it's late and there's a lot, he talks about now the steps you should start to take. So, talks about attachments, right? Talks about the idea of fulfilling the claims of an attachment, tying it to God, noting that the wellness of the heart is rooted in worship, then talking about the idea of balance in worship and avoiding extremism on both sides. And then he circles back. And he says, you know, Mara'at al mashrut al-sharfi mashrutiha lazim bi wujudiha. He says, observing the conditions of something for you to have a relationship with it, it has conditions, necessitates your relationship with it. What that means is, if you want to have a relationship with God, then do what will create that relationship. It's funny, you could talk to anybody, and they may have a spiritual crisis, but in general, if you ask them, what does God love? They know. Like, what does God love? Anyone want to suggest? What, what is loved by God? Yes, sir. Okay, salah, namaz. Yes, ma'am. Huh? Yeah, that believers are going to return to him. Beautiful. 
to have that relationship with him. What else? Yes, sir. Being truthful. Yes. Mercy, being merciful, being kind-hearted. Yes, sir. Repenting and returning to him. Yes, sir. Not judgmental. Asad. Being consistent. Look, man, everybody knows. There's no class on, like, what does God love? So the sheikh is saying, look, if you want to have this relationship, then fulfill the conditions. Observe them. And then we'll finish, inshallah, with everything, and that's niyyah. Intention. The word niyyah is from the word nawa, which means the direction you travel. So the idea is, metaphorically, where is my heart headed? Uh, where am I going in my soul? And he says something really cool, man, because I've experienced this myself probably more than once, but again, I'm not about to like, you know, expose myself. He said, If the objective that you seek is correct, If the objective of what you seek is correct, oppositions won't harm you. What does it mean? It's hard to translate, man. That means is if I say, man, I'm going to get in shape. Then I start going to the gym. Start doing all kind of crazy stuff to myself. And then Asim calls me. He's like, yo, man, I'm outside of your gym with a huge pizza, some honest chops, and some tall grass. I love you, bro. Then I say, you know what? That's awadid. Cool. Just this one time. Yo, what's up? Pass that burger. If I was sincere, that wouldn't impact me. So what he's saying is like, don't make excuses for yourself and God. If it's real, you're going to get there. And that doesn't mean I won't fall. Maybe I, maybe I do smash. You know what I mean? God bless you. I do smash the tall grass. But the next day, I'm back at the gym. Next day, I'm eating kale. Stuff for a lot. Next day, I'm brown rice biryani. You know what I'm saying? Doesn't mean that I'm not going to slip. But if I slip, my qast, my asl is sahih. So what he's saying is, in our relationship with seeking God, if we slip, we'll keep going. And if we're distracted, we keep going. And the stronger we get, the less those distractions will become. So he's talking about persistence, consistency, right? And making sure that the reasons are right, the niyyah is right. I'm not making excuses for myself. Sometimes we look for that, you know? We look for that moment to slip. Like, oh man, I hope, hope he shows up with the tall grass at the bench. Right? I look for it. And the last is foundations. And we'll talk about this more tomorrow at 11 a.m. inshallah. That is, that if my knee is right, if my intentions are right, then I'm going to turn to the source that will help direct me to achieve that goal, to achieve that relationship with Allah. So it says, Aslu min kulli usul. 
He said, the foundation of all things, in relationship to this life and the next, is taken from the Quran and Sunnah. So, after starting the discussion about wellness, having a sound heart, talking about worship as being a means to achieving that sound heart, then framing our attitude towards worship, avoiding extremism on both sides, being balanced and nuanced and objective, looking for meaning and sustainability in worship. And then, you know, he, he did, especially like around the 90th axiom, the 90s basically are dedicated to this idea of balance and objectivity and patience. Then he talks about Nia, and because of time I went through it quickly, that start with that intention, and if that intention is for God, then, you know, uh, exceptional moments, awadid can be defined as like exceptional moments, are not going to defeat you or sway you too much. Because you're, you're headed to God. You know, it's like my son, subhanAllah, I remember when a Battlefield 2 or 3 came out. And he was like, Dad, we got to go get this game. So like, I took him, you know what I'm saying? He's a little homie. Got to get the game for him because he did, he memorized uh, Jismulk. So yeah, I got you. So what better way to celebrate as some American Muslims who believe in peace and political participation than buying my son the game? Battlefield. So alhamdulillah, on the way there, someone called me. I got caught up. This is back in the days. And like time goes by, time goes by, time goes by, time. And it's getting late. I had to meet this brother. Then after we finish, I finish with the brother. My son says, we're going to get that game. That's al-asl qasta sahih. I want it. I'm focused. Don't think I'm sleepy. Don't think I forgot. Al-awadid haven't harmed me. He's saying like that with God. And then at the end he says, and as you begin to create this relationship and try to understand how you should see things, turn to revelation. And we'll pick up uh, there tomorrow, inshallah. If you have any questions, we'll take a few of them. If they're easy. And then uh, we're going to go, inshallah. Yes, sir? Yeah.